Cold weather in Chicago creates dead robots out of EV batteries. Research shows that artificial intelligence may soon be able to copy our handwriting. And NBC angers football fans with streaming-only access to a playoff game. These stories and more on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. The guy behind the monitors is Chris. Hello, Chris. Hey, how's it going? And we're also happy to introduce our latest guest co-host for the next few weeks, Jack Gold, Principal Analyst at J. Gold Associates. Welcome back, Jack. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Keith. All right, we got a lot more pressure to put on you than just being a regular guest. Now you're co-host as well, so we're going to ask you a lot of questions from around the world in technology. So you ready to go? All right. All right. Let's. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's jump into the biggest story of the week. Uh, in in my mind, it's uh, you know, it's, it's it's cold in the country apparently, and cold enough, especially in the Midwest, where Chicago area Tesla Tesla charging stations uh, were basically uh, basically dead. Uh, you know, and one of the guys that was quoted in this article was that there's a bunch of dead robots out here. Uh, desperate Tesla owners in and around Chicago were seen trying to charge their vehicles with no luck amid frigid temperatures that have gripped the Midwest. Charging stations have essentially turned into car graveyards in recent days as temperatures have dropped into the negative double digits. This was earlier in the week. I think it's probably warmed up a little bit since then. Um, but one guy was quoted as basically saying nothing, no juice, still on zero percent, uh, who had uh, said Tyler Beard, who had been trying to recharge his Tesla at an Oak Brook, Illinois Tesla supercharging station since Sunday afternoon. Uh, and he said this was like three hours being out here after being out here three hours yesterday. Uh, so we've talked about this on the show before, and we've gotten some flack from some of our viewers uh, who kind of made fun of us for our suggesting that as the weather would get colder, that um, these batteries would, would lose their, their effectiveness. Uh, range would go down and some of them would not even start. Chris, you remember like the flack that we got, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, they just kind of criticized our knowledge of EVs and stuff like that. And right. I'm just like a battery is a battery, whether it's, whether the name is Tesla or Duracell. <laughs> uh, I think they all they all lose uh, their charge in the cold. So. And, and we weren't necessarily kind of criticizing Tesla on this. This was more of a general EV thing as well. Uh, and right. so just trying to bring up the fact that uh, when we were talking in the news cycle, we were talking about why people might be hesitant to buy EVs. Uh, and especially here in the Northeast, where we get cold temperatures, uh, probably not as bad as the Midwest and even the northern states of the U.S., but, yeah. but certainly it does get cold here. I've had cases where my, my car wouldn't start um, in yeah. the deep of January as well. So, so Jack, yeah, I, I mean, have you been following this story as well, as well? Yeah, I have. Look, you know, people forget... Um, even on, on old-style gas cars in the middle of winter, when you go out and try to start your car with a regular battery, if your battery is not fully charged, you know, you're not charging, you're not starting your car in the morning, right? Yeah. You got to go call AAA and have them come and get a boost. Th these are batteries are, are basically chemical factories. And when they get really, really cold, they just don't work very well. Uh, and, and that's really the problem. Uh, so when you look at the, the general EV, look, if you're in the South, if you're in Florida, it's not going to be much of an issue. Uh, if you're in Minnesota, <laughs> you know, where it's 15 below normally quite often. In the old days, what people do, and maybe they still do, is they literally used to get block heaters yeah. to plug into their engines mm -hmm. to keep them warm enough so they would start up so the oil wouldn't turn solid on them and so, that, you know, they could actually crank them. Um batteries are a little bit different. I mean, you're not going to do a block heater, but 
what you're probably going to end up doing if you're living in those those climates and you want the battery to work well, you're going to he have to heat up the battery. Batteries work best in the 50 to 70, 80 yeah, degree right. range. That's yeah, right. You know, and 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 so that that's where the, what the situation is, is is all about. There are a lot of people that are looking at EVs that may not even have garages to put them in. So right. you're out in the elements. It's going to be cold. Um, the other thing to, to consider is that even if it's not that cold, maybe it's 30 degrees out, your range may go down from 300 to 150 or 200 miles. Right. And you have to be aware of that because on the way to wherever you're going, if you're on a trip, you know, you don't want to die in the middle of, uh, you know, Route 90 somewhere. You want to find a charging station earlier. So it's something that unfortunately the EV companies have not done a good job of educating their consumers about yeah. and it's going to give them a lot of pushback yeah I, I i'm thinking that it must be there's an assumption out there that that an ev car is exactly like an internal combustion engine right. car except for the fact that it runs off of electricity uh another interesting part of of a lot of these articles was the fact that in order to heat the inside of the car, if you have a gas car, uh, you get heat from the excess heat that the engine makes. And so that's how, that's why the, you know, inside your car, you can turn on the heater and it's fine. There's not, you know, the EV engine doesn't generate as much heat. So you have to rely on other methods to heat. I think some cars, they, they put heat pumps in them to, to, to try to make right. you warm. But there was another article that Fast Company wrote a couple days ago, uh, kind of as a counteract to this whole Chicago situation. And they were saying, well, in Norway, everything's fine. Like, like here's all the stuff that, that goes on in Norway, uh, and you know where, where they've got a high percentage of, of EV uh, adoption. And you know they actually have tips about... Uh, how how they're they're surviving in, in in Norway and that's like you said prepping the battery before you start the car, um, keeping the the battery warm. I mean, it's, uh, it's, keeping it inside a garage. Like these tips are, are are they seem like common sense, but I'm surprised. Like there was in, in that article from from Chicago, the guy was like, I went to the airport and I came back and my car was dead. It was like, well, yeah, because you parked in a garage outside. Of course, it's going to be. Yeah, dead. I, I mean, it's it's Norway. You know, it's Norway. It's chill over there. They they have the time and the luxury <laughs> to just kind of sit back and you know. Yeah, I'm going to do all these steps to make sure my EV works right, but try doing that over here. I mean, I I, I doubt EV owners are going to stick to this regimen of, okay, you need to do this, 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 well, to make sure your EV uh, stays alive in the winter. The thing, I don't think the, the do thing that. that killed me the most on this article was that uh, apparently in Norway you know, drivers are encouraged not to use the heating system, but instead just rely on the little heated steering wheel and the heat seaters. So, well, because cool, that'll keep the car warm, right? Well, no, no, Is that keep, what they're... It'll keep your butt warm and your hands warm. Right. But, oh, it, you know, but like, you know, I get into a car and I crank that heater up as soon as I get into the car. I like, I don't think I would be able to give up that luxury of having an instantly heated cabin. Um, just to, and, and what to, do you to do move. about defrost? Right. Right, dude. We're, we're just all a bunch of babies here in the, in the U.S. We need to we need to become more Norwegian. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being you know, Norwegian. I, I do like I do like the Scandinavian oh, countries. No, absolutely, they're super absolutely. nice people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not picking on them. But um, <laughs> no, no, they're great people. They're apparently, great there's people. also something called a battery blanket that that you can put right. over your battery or on your battery to keep it warm. Well, I was thinking, like when you mentioned uh, what is it, block heaters and stuff. I know yeah. they for a regular, you know 
combustion engine cars, they sell like a, uh, I don't know it's if it's like a battery condition, whatever. So like, say if you store your car, you can put like a trickle charge yeah. to your battery to make trickle sure it charge. doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like maybe Tesla should come out with some sort of like solar panel trickle charge or something. So like when you leave your car out in the cold, just take this little solar panel out, plug it in and maybe it'll just, you know, I don't know. I'm just think, thinking out loud. Like one of those giant things that you would, like a big metal thing that co- captures sunlight and, yeah. and then maybe and then maybe keeps the, the battery warm. You know, like when, when you were tanning as, as, a, as, a, as a youth. You no, 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 no. Nothing no, like that? Okay. No. <laughs> My car will have a tan. A nice, <laughs> yeah. a nice tan for summer would be great. Yeah. I, I, you, Jack, the point that you make about uh, consumers probably not being educated by these um, car companies that are that are pushing these EVs. You know, again, last year was the big was the first year where we saw a big push by EV makers to to try to get people to buy EV cars. And now this is the first winter. I think where we're experiencing uh, a more a mass adoption of of these these cars. So I I think you might start seeing if you go into the dealership, they might say, oh, also remember if you live in a really really cold area, make sure that you have a garage that you can keep this in, um, and be sure to preheat it if if preheat is that even. <laughs> Heath, no. Look, <laughs> dealers aren't going to say that to you, gone, right? When have you gone to buy something where a salesman told you the truth about what you really had right. to do to get it to run? <laughs> do so you imagine? To... Can you imagine how many cars they won't sell if they start putting out that message? And that—that's really the fundamental issue, right? It's yeah, educating people. And and I bet you, if you went out on the street and you talked to a hundred people about EVs, three of them would know that in cold weather there's a problem. I mean, I. I uh, Oh, well, let me, let me just cut to me. I, I still see people trying to fill up uh, their Tesla with gasoline. <laughs> I mean, it's out there. Come it's on, that's there. an urban I mean, myth. Or that's an urban legend, isn't it? I mean, You've it's probably, it's probably it. fake, but it's like, come on. It's an outlet. <laughs> Don't stick gasoline in it, you know? Well, you know, and again, the reason I want to talk about this too is because we've been getting, we, you know, on our on our YouTube channel, we've been getting some comments from some of some users and viewers that made fun of us for bringing this this topic up the last time, um, probably about three or four months ago. We we did a thing on EVs and why people weren't buying them, and one of the reasons we said was because there was concern about the cold weather. Um, it goes back to this idea of of the use of an EV. When you, if you get an EV, it's really going to be for commuting from basically your house to, to work and then work to back. It's not going to be used on long trips. It's not going to be used, you know, on, on some of these other types of things you would use a car for. Um, and, and I'm just trying to point out that there are some issues if you're going in rather than just blindly going, Oh, I'm going in. I'm going to save the planet. And this is great. Well, well, not only that, but I, if I, if I have this correct, I, I believe, um, Elon Musk, I, I think he, he stated this in an interview and I think it was, I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast. He stated that, um, his intent was not to replace the combustion engine. It was to add another option. Yeah. So, you know, there's no reason why you should get rid of your combustion car. If you want a Tesla, buy a Tesla and keep your, you know, gasoline car. You know what I mean? Right. And just use the, use the gasoline car for, yeah. you know, longer trips or day trips or going well, to grandma's house. And guys, the there's, there's another piece to this as well. I don't know if you saw it this, uh, this past week, Hertz said they're getting rid of 30% of their EV fleet. Oh, I, I didn't that. see that. Good. You, you got more details on that? Yeah. They said basically that it was too costly to maintain them. Huh. Let me find and the article. And they were going to okay. get rid of them and bring, bring in, uh, you know, regular combustion engine cars. What what were the big maintenance issues? Was it just maintaining the the battery power level, or was it in addition to That's other things? That's my guess. 
uh, th they weren't specific, but um, the, my guess is that, look, if you have to go out and replace a battery on an EV, you're talking about thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars. They're not cheap. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's a major portion of the price of the car. So, um, you know, if something happens to the battery, if it gets discharged, uncharged, overcharged, whatever, and you have to replace that thing, it's, it's expensive. Whereas with a regular car, you know, it's, it's really, for, for the most part, hard to kill a regular car. You, if you, you know, you make sure you put oil in it and, and decent gas, you're, right. you're going to run for a long time. Right, right. Um, so, there, and, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't buy EVs. I think they're great. But, Keith, you, you, you hit it right in the head. And I think, Chris, you, you, you did as well, is you, you need to know their limitations. It's like everything else out there. It's the same reason. Remember, people used to buy diesel cars because yeah. they were cheaper to run when gas prices were, you know, $18 a gallon. Um <laughs> And that didn't last long either because the maintenance on diesel is really high. Right, um, right. They put it in, in trucks for a, for a variety of different reasons. So just understand the limitations of the technology that you're trying to use because it's not – there's no technology that is limitation-free. Right, and, and I think that's a big point of this podcast as well is to point out both, you know, the pros and the cons of something. And I, I guess I just I, – I, my feelings weren't hurt. It was more like – just try to remind viewers to just don't blindly follow something because someone says something is perfect or great. Um, it's really just, you know, do, do your homework, follow, you know, read up on things and understand that, that nothing is perfect. Um, and, and, right. and we're doing that with generative AI as well. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what we've been talking about the whole, whole year. Um, and, and that is my friends is a segue. Cause we're going to talk now about some AI <laughs> stuff. How's that Jack? Was that pretty good? I thought that was great. <laughs> All right. So there's a, now a new AI project that can mimic our handwriting. Oh, boy. Computer scientists in the Middle East recently patented an artificial intelligence program that can successfully mimic human, human handwriting at an indistinguishable level. The biggest breakthrough in Dubai distinguishing results from past models was making connections for physical distance between text in an image. Um, let's see these, these, um, this research was done by the university of artificial intelligence, uh, in Dubai at, in the, uh, United Arab Emirates. And, uh, let's see, what did they say here? Uh, the, basically it can mimic someone's handwriting based on a sample. And, uh, they also, however, did say that, uh, they are well aware that the invention, uh, is you know they are very cautious because it could be misused uh, this is a quote from one of the researchers handwriting represents a person's identity so we are thinking carefully about this before deploying it the breakthrough comes at a time when experts including the middle eastern research team acknowledge the frightening potentially nefarious power ai has to imitate people I, obviously the first time you see the the headline on this you're thinking okay they're going to capture my signature and you know how your signature can be used to verify identities to you know sign checks things like that so um, is this a case where it's like Jurassic Park, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it? Or is, is there more to this in terms of, are there benefits well, from this technology well, to mimic handwriting? Well, yeah, you kind of have to ask yourself, what, what are you trying to achieve by doing this? Yeah. Like, what, what's the end goal? Like, by, you know, trying to mimic someone's handwriting? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, in, in a lot of these articles, obviously, this you know this one was from the New York Post, and of course they're gonna they're gonna do as much like oh my god, the, you know the, the robots are running running amok. Um, so it, it's it's difficult to explain why they were doing it, but you know, Jack, have, have you been able to figure out any good purposes for this? Yeah, I mean there are some. Uh, so for instance, if you're 
Um, you know, if you've got some kind of disease, maybe you're an epileptic or, or you know, God forbid you lose your arm or your okay. hands. Okay. And you can't write anymore and they've got a file and, you know, that maybe that there's a reason for you to be able to use AI to, to write like you used to before so you don't feel so, you know, out of, out of touch, out of, out of step. But for the most part, it's not so much for, for me, the thinking is not so much being able to, to do writing like I do. It's to use AI to be able to read my writing because the handwriting is so bad. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that raises another question is like handwriting in general has gone away for a lot of people. Um, yep. You know, we make jokes about if if uh, if if Generation uh, Z and the millennials um, start going to war with the boomers and the X, all we have to do is just start writing our messages in cursive. Um, I can, I can still I can still do cursive. <laughs> I can, so I, I'm safe. But again, I haven't I haven't written a, a long cursive letter in a long time. I mean, I still do yeah. my signature in cursive um, and I watch my kids try to do it when they're signing checks because they get now birthday checks and they're teenagers. So they have to sign these things and they're cursive. Cursive, they're they're like really careful with it, whereas I'm just like. Blah, blah. Wait, you do yours in cursive? I do mine in Scribble. <laughs> you ever seen Scribble? <laughs> no, what's Scribble? You know, it's a it's Scribble. Like, that's what yeah. doctors use. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And so I can't. You know. And then the 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 rare times I do handwriting, like I don't know. This is none, none of this is handwriting. Um, the rare times I do it, I'm I'm basically printing really fast. Yeah. And, and so even my cursive writing has gone away. Can you imagine, like, again, you go back to, like, the 1700s when, you know, you've got calligraphy and, you know, the Declaration of Independence is actually a really well-written document, like, handwriting style as right. well. And, and you, you know, I can only imagine if you bring them to the future and they look at what we're doing now, they'd be like, why are you not handwriting correctly? I don't know. Maybe, well, cause I, I'm sure they'd be impressed with a lot more than just how bad our handwriting is. But we're not doing it basically because we no longer have feathers. <laughs> <laughs> because of the quills? Well, you yeah. can still do that with a pen, and there's some very nice pens out there. I actually bought, it's sitting over here on my desk. I actually have, I don't know if you can see it, I actually have my fountain pen right now. That's here. a fountain pen, oh, huh? Wow. They still make those. I still might, well, the Chinese do. <laughs> I don't know if you can get them in America. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's... It's become a skill that most people don't have anymore, and, and I don't think we're teaching it to our kids. Um, yeah, I don't think they're even teaching cursive writing anymore in, in schools. No. They, I would have yeah. to check, but I know that our kids, I don't think my youngest uh, is 14, and I don't know if she's uh, ever done any cursive training or, or writing How's she going to write a check or, or sign a check? I think she just... She just so, you know, well, no, she just writes her name out or something like that. I haven't asked her about how to do it. I've seen my son do it, and I've seen my oldest daughter do it. Um, so I know that they've been tr they've been they've been trained a little bit in cursive. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what, what the other it's thing? It's like that, the new math, right? Yeah, yeah. And we'll get back to that in a second. I want to talk about that a little bit. But um, okay. there's technology now when you're signing an electronic document. Like I, I do get sent some contracts, you know, via digital PDF and things like that. And they ask right. you to sign it. And for the most part, they will accept it if you just type your name in and then it, and then it basically takes the handwriting font and then does that as their signature, mainly because they're just looking for more like the electronic timestamp. But then there are others I've seen where they ask you to, um, you know, that little keypad on your, yeah. uh, on your computer. Uh, if you're, or they ask you to do it with your mouse and the signatures, I can't create my signature on, on either a touchpad or with a mouse without it looking like a scribble, a you know, and I'm trying to try to imitate my, 
you know, my cursive style. Um, and okay. same thing with those when you were using the credit card things. And you remember when you had to sign on one of those keypads? Yep. Like it's miserable. Or they say use your finger to do it on, a, on like an iPad. Like you're never going to get even close. But again, I think they're just they're looking for more about the movements to, to know that if you're a human versus, you know, any sort of match to your original signature. Well, in fact, there are AI programs that do that now, right? So there are a lot of programs used for security that will not mimic you, but understand how you operate, you know, eye movement, finger movement, how you breathe, right. um, just, just personal data about you that verifies it, that it really is you, that it isn't somebody else. Um, it, from the, the signature piece, you know, I, I get those using a brand name, I guess, but I get DocuSign stuff all the time. Yeah. And, and mostly they already know it's you okay. because they know who to send it to. They know who's going to get, who's getting it. Um, they've identified you in a number of different ways. And so the signature is really kind of a formality for them just to say, yeah, um, you know, Jack really read it and did something with it. Um, but those are the kinds of things that are, are going to be interesting, you know, getting it back around to the AI piece. Um, do we really need signatures long-term when AI can actually do a lot of feature recognition, not just physical feature, but, you know, how, how I breathe, how I cough, how I comb my hair, how I, you know, interact with, with Keith and, and Chris on the show um, to verify that it's me. I think that's really where we're going. And so cursive, maybe cursive isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. I actually can type on a keyboard now faster than I can write cursive. Yeah. It's gotten to yeah, that point. Yeah, me too. The, so does that cause problems for security identification, authentication issues in the future? Or is it just something that goes away because we've already replaced it with something else? Uh, there's a transition period, right? It's like everything. Uh, we're, there will be a time where there'll be overlap. Um, and there will be some issues around security, knowing that it's actually me if I can't sign my name or whatever. But long term, if we look at it long term, I think it's a technology that wins out. Yeah. I'm wondering if we're just going to be all basically just signing as X from, from now on, <laughs> which would make, which would make Elon Musk very happy because that's his big, big letter that he loves. So oh, ooh, we're, we're going to, we're going to be using our, uh, digital identified code. It'll be a chip in our wrist and that's how we're going to sign and, and wave things. Well, I was going to say that, that we're all just going to end up pricking our finger and then putting it on a blood sensor and then yeah. it's going to analyze the DNA and that's how they'll figure out that's hygienic. what we are. That's oh yeah, safe. I'm sure that's going to be... <laughs> I think I like yours better than mine, Chris. Okay. Alright, uh, moving, moving on. Uh, Davos was this week. This was the big um, conference over in Switzerland that I've never been invited to, nor will I ever, because uh, this is where all the, the muckety-mucks that are the world leaders and all the, the billionaires go. Um, I don't like, I don't like outside weather cold anyway. So I guess I wouldn't really be ever over there, but AI was a big deal this week. Um, a hot topic of, of discussion, uh, before the, the show came out, the, the, uh, international monetary fund came out with a report basically saying artificial intelligence will affect 40% of jobs around the world. And it is crucial that cut that countries build social safety nets to mitigate the impact on vulnerable workers. According to the head of the IMF, 
basically, analysis says about 60% of jobs in advanced economies, such as the US and UK, are exposed to AI, and about half of those jobs may be negatively effective, but the technology will also help enhance some humans' productivity as AI improves their performance. Uh, we've been hearing this since the, the dawn of AI. Um, this is all about you know what jobs are going to go away, but then a lot of other people say yes, but a lot of jobs will be created. I think if you're worried about your own personal job, uh, just try to be on the side of the, the job that will have you enhanced by AI rather than eliminated by AI. Jack, do you have any thoughts on, on, on this? Is it just more of the same or is there something about this report that, that would cause concern rather than just the people that are, you know, from those muckety mucks in, uh, at Davos? I, I think there's a, a few issues here. Some are technical, some are, are political, some are personal, right? So, I actually look forward to AI in the in the sense that I, I look at it as an artificial assistant, as opposed to you know th think about it as as Google search on on super steroids, right? Right. Uh, if I'm trying to create something, if I'm trying to do something creative, you know, I'm writing something or whatever, I would love to have somebody sitting over my shoulder, not somebody, but something, right, sitting <laughs> over my shoulder, looking at this and saying, you know, you don't want to write that sentence that way. That, that you know, it, this is much better. Or I, you know, I, I've looked in the background and what you just said, people have said before, and, and, you know, you want to say it a different way or, you know, whatever it is. Creativity is something that AI, for all, all we talk about, about AI, creativity is something that AI is not really good at. It's really good at being able to do redundant stuff. And so if your job is highly creative, if, if your job is to fill out forms all day long, AI is going to take your job away. Right. If your job is to create the forms and do more than just to create the forms, but, you know, put some thought behind it, it's going to be a long time before AI is able to do that for us. <laughs> and so when we talk about which jobs, which jobs are going away, it's, it's the ones that are less skilled, that don't need a lot of brain power, you know, redundant kinds of jobs where, and, and, and I'm not trying to belittle people that do these because it, it, it's necessary, but it's, you know, clerical kind of work that, AI is going to be really good at doing for us and do it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, and I think, I think a lot of those types of jobs, they, you are generally, if you're in a position of doing that, you're not doing that for eight straight hours in general. You're probably doing that as a function of your larger job. Right. If you're doing clerical work or bookkeeping work, there are other parts of the, you know, the, the work day, whether you're in a meeting or a planning session or, or trying to figure out something where creativity is still uh, going to happen. Um, but at the same time, I think there was some news. There was a news story this week where Amazon uh, is going to be adding a bunch of AI, um, AI question and answer type things for its products so that you don't have to read the reviews as much or they'll be able to explain what's in the product. Um, and then I think that because of that, they eliminated some sales positions or it was, I, I should have brought it up. I'll bring it up next week if I can find it. It's it, at the same time, you are seeing some jobs or they're not going to hire more people because they've got this new tool. And, and who knows if this is ever going to work or not. Um, you know, that's it's an extension of what we already have. When was the last time you called, I don't know, whoever, a health provider on the phone and got put into this robot loop, yeah. right, of answer 28 questions before I put you to the right place? Right. Amazon and others are just taking it to, with, with AI, it's the next level. It, it, it gets much better because it understands more of what's going on. It's not just a, a menu tree. Now they can actually do some sorting on what you're telling them and try to figure out the right path for you. So hopefully that it's going to get a lot better. Uh, and Amazon basically is saying, you know, 
if the Amazon assistant, if you have a problem, you can actually supposedly talk to a real human. Half the time you're not talking to a human anyway. Yeah. But, uh, and, and so I think it's just going to get better. And, and, and people that were in that space before, yeah, they're probably going to get eliminated, uh, unfortunately, or they're, they're going to have to get retrained to do other things, which are, are more creative, more appropriate for their skill set. Who knows? Um, uh, but anytime we come up with a new technology, whether it's, you know, uh, <laughs> trains, airplanes, cars, you know, computers, um, remember all the people, I don't know if you remember, I remember this well, all the people that were supposed to lose their jobs when computers came on board because you wouldn't need all these people in the back rooms doing all this manual stuff. Right. How many jobs did the computer industry create? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're still on the side I, I of... Take it with of, a grain of salt. And again, we're, 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 you're kind of preaching to the choir here because we're all, we're all technology enthusiasts and we like, you know, like the, the benefits of technology versus the, the potential downsides. Um, I, I would expect more of this as, as we move on. I, I just think that that was the biggest thing. You know, again, so the, at Davos this week, uh, Sam Altman was there and, you know, Sadia Nadella from Microsoft was there and they were touting the, the benefits of AI, obviously. Um, I, I still think Microsoft is going to screw it up for everybody. Um, cause they didn't, they've they never done that before. Uh, they released a co-pilot type thing for windows and some sort of like co-pilot pro. And right. I, and, and again, it's not because I, I dislike Microsoft so much. It's just, I, I just have this gut feeling that, and again, most people that, that, that like this stuff have already called it like Clippy 2.0 and, um, like the assistant and the co-pilot obviously, but I haven't seen anything yet. Um, that has convinced me that this is what I'm going to be doing in my daily life. And, you know, I, I, I have to remind myself to dabble in AI. Um, like, oh, hey, you haven't done anything with AI lately. Let's see how it's, how it's going. Um, but again, I also, this is, this is a Mac and, and I do most of my stuff on Mac. Maybe if Apple ever comes around and, and says, hey, we've, we've, we've answered, we've, we've solved the AI issue and here's what we're going to do, then I'll get a little bit more excited about using this in my daily life. Um, well, it's not, it's not if, it's when. Yeah. It just, and I think most people want it to be when sooner than later, but Apple's like, hey, sure. we're going we're gonna to take our sweet time on this and, you know, get yeah. it right. I mean, I, I remember my first laptop took about 10 minutes to boot. <laughs> you know, who would put up with that today? And that was exciting when it was taking 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I barely had time to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep uh, our eyes on this stuff as well. So let's go on to another story. Um, there's a couple of stories in the streaming video space that we wanted to touch upon. Uh, first was a, this was an older story from a couple of weeks ago where uh, the wall street journal was saying that Americans are now canceling more of their streaming services. Customer defections across premium, premium streaming services rose to 6.3% in November from 5.1% a year earlier, about one quarter of us subscribers to major streaming services, a group that includes Apple TV Plus, Discovery Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu, Max, Netflix, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Start. I can't believe there's that many services out there. Uh, but apparently one quarter of uh, U.S. subscribers have canceled at least three of them over the past two years. Uh, and this is from a subscription analytics provider uh, named Antenna. Two years ago, that number stood at 15% of signing streaming users are becoming increasingly fickle. I think a lot of this was because of the price increases that went up um, for a lot of these major services, including Disney. I, I know we canceled Disney, uh, Disney Plus after realizing that there was really nothing good on anymore. Yeah. But then the increase in the in the prices as well. Yeah, that, and I think people are just coming to the realization that 
by paying all these streaming services, you're basically paying the same price as cable. Yeah. Yeah, and that, if, another great point. And when we used to pay for cable, we used to look at the bill and be like, oh, geez, no, I'm going to cut the cord. This is ridiculous. But now we're just back where we were when when we had cable. Yeah. Paying paying such high of a bill. So, Jack, what's how many different streaming services do you have? I'm very limited. Uh, in my house, I only have a couple. Uh, in the house, there's probably a few more. My wife does her thing, and my daughter wants to do her thing, so <laughs> I don't get it mixed up with that because I'm not paying for it. So I, they're, they're fine. Go do for it. You know, right? It, it just put put on a credit card. But but there's a couple of things that are going on here. I think that 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 people need to be aware of. Number one is people can really get overloaded with streaming services. Yeah. If you've got five, six, seven streaming services, how many of those can you actually watch in a day? Yeah. Right, right. Uh, or even a weekend, right? So that's number one. Number two is, is there enough differentiation and programming across the streaming services to actually make you interested in getting more than one or two or three? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's and I, really and I, a lot of the programs that they have are very similar. Right. And I think the reason that, that Netflix does so well compared to a lot of these others is because I think most people believe that Netflix probably has the best range of types of shows. And, but the, you know, it's then I think they yeah. have a good a rotation of content too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, there's, yeah. there's another thing too, that they, I think all streaming services are, um, uh, do this is they, have you noticed whenever you view a movie or a TV show, the wallpaper or the poster, you know, we'll call it the poster will change to make it look as if it was like a, a new piece of, I haven't, I haven't noticed, I haven't noticed that as, yeah. oh, oh, so like try the, to refresh the, little, the thumbnail the cover thumbnail, changes? the poster, the, mo- the, you know, call it the movie poster, whatever yep. the, the, you know, the image that they use to, I have noticed that, yeah. all, you know, and I, I think they've been doing that for a while. It's just to give the sense that it's not the it's same new, old program. Right? It's right. It's, yeah. You're, they're playing psychological games on <laughs> us. Look at this. So, so I've, I've done this thing that everyone is talking about where I, there was a, right around the time of the Disney increase. I, I realized I was paying for probably five or six different streaming services. And again, yeah. same thing, you know, wife liked one service. Uh, my, my kids liked one and I, and I, I made them fill out a poll and said, rank your top three or four. And then the lowest one was going to get cut. And it turns out that I didn't get a lowest one. It was almost like every, every point system was equal um, because, you know, one really, really wanted to keep one and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, but I ended up just, I ended up cutting a, a bunch of them, but, but I've now brought back in Peacock and I'm going to explain why in our next discussion, uh, brought that back in. Uh, I got a deal around Black Friday for HBO Max or Max as it's now known, where they were like, eh, Black Friday, you pay three bucks a month or four bucks a month for six months. But now I'm tracking it so that I, I know when the subscription will end. And then I'll cancel it unless something else comes along content wise that will help me justify that cost. Um, so I am trying to there, limit how much subscriptions I'm, I'm, I'm running. There is another piece to the cost thing yeah. that, that, that doesn't get talked about very often. And, and I'll bring it up because it happened to me. So uh, we cut the cord. We cut the cord for, for cable TV, basically. Yep. Um, and, uh, and that was fine. But you still have to keep internet service, right? Right. So what we found was that 
I, I can't remember the exact numbers. I, I want to say off the top of my head, it was with with the the, the cable plus the TV was something like one fifteen or one twenty a month, something yeah, like that. Yeah. When we cut back, the internet only service started out at sixty dollars. Okay. Then went to seventy dollars, and it's now ninety dollars. Yeah, a that's month. what I pay. Gigabit, gigabit internet. And you don't have yeah. a choice. Yeah. If you don't have internet, you don't get streaming service. Right. So, so they're making it up. The, the 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 cable providers are making it up on the internet only service for the for the cord cutters and basically giving the TV for next to free. Exactly. I don't want to jinx myself here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna like my internet only service has not gone up in three or four years. And I'm just jinxing wow. myself. I know. I just, but again, I'm also not subscribing to that highest tier of, of, of broadband. I mean, this is, this is, you know, I've, again, Jack, you and I are both networking guys. We know what capacity, you know, a certain level is going to, is going to achieve. And we, I've never had any really big, you know, networking problems with my broadband. Um, compared to maybe what 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 Comcast or others claim, like I hear those radio ads and they just drive me crazy. About well, if you have six, if you have six uh, people all trying to stream at the same time, it's going to be a problem. It's like no, it's not. The bottleneck is is always at the, it's never at the land level. It's always at the the wide area network level. So right, right. or people don't right. understand that the the uh, the bandwidth to stream is not as high as everyone thinks it is. Right. right. But the issue I, I wanted to raise just yeah. the final point, right, is that it's not just about the streaming services. It's about the overall bill. Okay. Right. That's what people are frustrated with. Yeah. Yeah. And and then from the company standpoint, and this is something that the Disney folks, the Bob Iger said, was that they were hoping that if people did cancel the premium service, which was, you know, that's the one that they raised for no ads. They want to bring them back at a lower price but then give the ability to basically show them ads, uh, <clears throat> which means that they can, they can make more money by selling ad, you know, 10 to 15 ads per program. Um, right. then, then you would make up from the subscriber that, that paid for that no ad service. So I think that you're going to see, you're seeing that as well. And, and the, when we resubscribe to Peacock, we went to a lower price plan, um, but I have to now suffer through ads again, which means it's all going to circle back to that days of broadcast TV and cable TV where, you know, instead of watching uh, a 20 minute program on Netflix with no ads, you're now going to be watching 30 minutes. So you won't be able to, to binge as much because, again, you could watch three episodes of something in an hour. Now you're, you're down to two episodes for that full hour because they're now pumping it full of ads. Yeah. It makes the streamer happy because they're going to get more revenue from the advertising yeah. than they would have from the subscribers. I mean, that, that's what it's all about today. And it's kind of sad because it's a game of how do you prevent your subscribers from leaving? Right. Really? I mean, that's what it's all about. And, how, do, how do you keep them? And even this episode, I'm sure, uh, on YouTube has probably already pumped a couple of ads in this, in this episode. Absolutely. And, and you, you know, sometimes you have the ability to skip the ad. Sometimes you don't. And then you're just suffering... <laughs> through a lot of these ads yeah. uh oh boy that's just depressing but anyway i, I want to so the next thing i want to bring up was that um uh and i know chris you're not a sports fan so you can skip this whole conversation if you if you want um i'm not i'm not telling you that you can't 
But if you okay. want, if you want to, if you want to just sit there and, and not talk about this, but sure. So over the weekend was the uh, the first round of the NFL playoffs, and they called it Super Wild Card Saturday or whatever. And um, NBC, which owns Peacock. One of the games that they were broadcasting, you could only get if you had Peacock. Uh, now, they announced this last May, and so this was not really a surprise for everybody. But as it was coming up, I think people were like, oh, crap, I've got to go get Peacock if I want to watch this game. And, of course, it was the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins, which was one of the, the bigger hyped games over the weekend. And so... I think a lot of people then basically went on to Peacock and subscribed. I was one of them. Again, I've cut the cord, so I don't have access to all of these other football games. So the, so I was able to watch two of the football games because they did this for the next game on Sunday night um, because I went and I subscribed into Peacock again uh, for the six bucks a month. And again, I had all these ads. Um, but I think what, a lot, what irritated a lot of people was that after the game, so during the next game on Sunday night, which was broadcast on NBC, but then they also did it on Peacock, um, they they made this like video congratulating themselves that really irritated uh, people because they were claiming that an average of 23 million people streamed the game on Peacock, making the first ever NFL playoff game to be exclusively streamed, the most streamed event of any kind in the U.S. ever. Super Wild Card Saturday was also an all-time record day for U.S. internet traffic, with most of those people interacting with NFL content online. It was just this like spin thing that like they're just again they're peacocking to to you to borrow their own their own term they're just strutting around going oh is wasn't this great without understanding that a lot of people were annoyed by this um jack do you have any thoughts on this like you know are sports fans just overreacting it's weird that the nfl would do this other than the fact that peacock paid them 110 million dollars to, to broadcast this game and this was and, the game that taylor swift was at by the way because it was the kansas City yeah. chiefs game Look, at the end of the day, it's all about the money, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's how they can maximize, how everyone, including the NFL, is going to maximize revenues. Um, I think you're going to find that more exclusive events, if you will, will continue. I mean, look, Amazon's been uh, doing Thursday night football for, what, two years now? Yeah. I think it is. Yep. Um, that's not going away. People complained about that. We're really ticked off about that early on as well because they missed it, missing the game. Playoffs are a little different, right? People really want to see the playoffs more than individual games, right? Uh, I th- in my opinion, at least. Um, so they they got more pushback, but I think you're going to see more and more of this. I think you're just going to tick off fans. I yeah. think there's going to be a rebellion. And again, I remember the days, you know, when you could watch a football game just over broadcast and then cable came along. So you did have to subscribe and pay in order to get a better quality broadcast of of cable. Um, So this is not necessarily uh, new. There's a there's a thing on the screen that we're showing, which is a a post is like, this is not that far from the government congratulating itself for collecting the most taxes ever. (laughs) Uh, That was one of the responses they had to that. um, uh, Oh, that's hilarious. To that video. Uh, it, It just seems that like. You're, you know, why would you want to tick off people that now you have to f- go and search or subscribe or things like that? Again, I don't have access to a lot of the regular broadcast games because we don't have cable. Um, if I really, really wanted to go see the game, I would have to go to a bar or some other place. And they're under the onus now of of trying to find that game on their services. So now you're putting additional costs on a lot of these bars and restaurants that want, you know, or sports bars or other locations that broadcast this thing. So, yeah, but, um, but you can, Keith, you can actually see most of the football games today, even if you don't have cable. How do I do uh, this, Jack? Tell me, on, tell me. <laughs> well, they're aired on ABC, NBC, CBS, whatever. If you put up an antenna, 
Oh, I see. Uh, see, I've tried that before, and and my house is in one of those areas where I can't get a lot of great broadcast signal. And the last thing I want to do is climb up on my roof. So I guess that's on me. So you're right. You are right. So, so I, I'm the same way. And my cable provider, I don't know if you want me to t- say who it is, but my you, cable provider will give me local channels for free. Okay. For any TV in the house I want to attach their cable to. Huh. So okay. I, I actually have two TVs in the house right now. One, yeah, one in the kitchen, one in the kind of in the dining room that only get local channels, but they're hooked up to the cable and they're, they're free. I don't need a, an adapter or converter or anything. Now, now that I've said this, they're probably going to come back and say, okay, now I want you to pay. <laughs> Jack, but, we saw you on this podcast and we now need you to do this. <laughs> right. Right. But, but so there is some of that. Uh, so the, the point is that if you're, if you're in a large urban area, if you're close by, if you're close enough to a regular broadcast station, at least you have the option. Right. Of seeing the games, most of the games, because they're on, they're on a network. Yeah, ABC, NBC, Fox, whoever they're going to be on. Right, but this is the it's first time that, that now this game, it, you could not get this over broadcast at all. NBC wasn't right. showing it. It was only on Peacock, right. and I think that's what's irritating most people. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Uh, if they do this with the Super Bowl, I mean, how would that, how would that affect? You'd like, have riots think- in the streets. Cars would be flipped over. Buildings would be burning. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they've already yeah. started with playoffs. It's not, it's not much of a stretch to, to take that down the logical thing of saying, if you want to watch the Super Bowl, you've got to. I think the advertisers yeah. would be a little annoyed by that oh, because yeah. they get oh. so much money on those Super Bowl ads. Absolutely. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Again, this was wild card, and usually those games don't matter as much as you get closer to the championship games. Um, we'll see what happens next year, right? So, right. Well, and, and I guess here's the question. Can, Pe- can Peacock charge Budweiser $10 million for an ad if they're exclusively, on, uh, you know, if they're showing the, uh, the Super Bowl exclusively? I don't I guess think so. Not. not even close. I don't like, what is Peacock? Like, what? Well, they had, apparently they had 23 million people <laughs> no, that streamed I know, the game. I know, I know. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, right. But when we're talking Super Bowl, we're talking hundreds of millions of people, right? Not just. Yeah. 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 I also doubt where, where these, you know, I don't think the, I don't know if these guys came out with where they got their numbers from. Um, well, that's. 23 million sounds awful high to me, but okay. <laughs> and, and, and of course, they're not telling you how many of those people that subscribed, all of the new subscribers, went, went online the next day and canceled it again. I want the full right. report. I want the full report. I'm not canceling. Analytic, analytical report. So I'm not canceling I mean. because my son wants to watch the WWE Royal Rumble, which is at the end of this month. And so we have this deal where whenever there's a good wrestling event that he wants to watch, I keep Peacock. But then as soon as that one's over, then I, I cancel it again. So um, I, I'm stuck with Peacock for at least another month or two. So that's pay-per-view for you. And, and, and which is right. Right. And then what's funny about that is that, um, uh, I, I can't do it. My wife's going to give me so much trouble. My wife watches this show on, on Peacock. And so one, once, I dis, once I told her that we had resubscribed, she was very excited because she's like, oh, now I can catch up, up on this, this show, um, which I don't want to say what it is, but it's, not a, it's, a, it's a reality show that she enjoys. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. Melissa. I'm sorry. All right. Anyway, uh, last, last topic. Um, 
before we get into our lightning round, uh, a story that says that remote workers are losing out on promotions because basically they're not in the office. This is an interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, new data shows that fully remote workers are falling behind in one of the most prized and important aspects of our career, which is getting promoted. Over the past year, remote workers were promoted 31% less frequently than people who worked in an office either full-time or on a hybrid basis. According to an analysis of 2 million white-collar workers, uh, this was by a company that provides employment data, live data technologies. Remote workers also get less mentorship, a gap that's especially pronounced for women, uh, according to this research. Of employees working in full-time in an office or on a hybrid basis, 5.6% received promotions at their organization in 2023 versus 3.9% of those who worked remotely. Um, in the four years since the COVID-19 pandemic upended the way Americans work, uh, employees have tug engaged in a tug of war over return to office efforts. We're still seeing this. Uh, while many workplaces have adopted hybrid policies or reverted to a fully in-person approach, nearly 20% of all employees with college degrees or higher still work on a fully remote basis, according to December data from the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. There's one other point that I wanted to make. There was um, nearly 90% of chief executives who were surveyed said that when it comes to favorable assignments, raises, or promotions, they are more likely to reward employees who make an effort to come into the office. In the online survey of 1,325 CEOs, uh, by KPMG, almost two-thirds of respondents said they expect most employees will be working in offices full-time in another three years. So, again, not surprising to me and Chris, and but, but Jack, I mean, you know, was this surprising news to find out that, that you might not get promoted if you're working remotely or less likely to get promoted than maybe if, if you were in the office? It's not surprising to me at all. I mean, if you look at office dynamics... People forget there's a lot of politics involved, personal politics involved with promotions and office infrastructure and the like. If you're there on a daily basis and people see you, I mean, your boss can come in, you can go into your boss's office, you can go to lunch, right? You can go have a cup of coffee. There's a personal issue with that yeah. that would helps with, you know, building a team that you don't get over Zoom. I mean, yeah. you know, where I'm on Zoom right now, we're not, it's, it's a different dynamic. We're, we're having a good conversation. But once it's done, it's done. We're not going to go out and have a beer afterwards, right? right. Uh, we, we could, but it'd be a, a, it's a it's a lot of <laughs> yeah. Work. I, I mean, it's, it's a lot of effort, extra effort that people don't usually do, right? Over Zoom, right? Because we're in different parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you, so, go ahead, Chris. Sorry, uh, I was just gonna just uh, comment real quick. It's like, yeah, you got to make the arduous journey to get here to your office. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like you'd be more uh, apt to be rewarded for that. So, but go ahead. You know, I've actually had people, you know, in, in the height of COVID, you know, where, where they would do instead of having, you know, meetings in person, <laughs> they would actually send out uh, care kits to all the people that were going to be on Zoom with, you know, a bottle of wine or, <laughs> or beer or right. a cup of coffee I, or tea or whatever. Yeah. And we, we, I took place in, a, I took, uh, I attended many virtual happy hour type things where they're like, just grab a beer right. from your fridge or grab a drink and then, you know, we'll all be on Zoom drinking. It was awful. It was horrible. Right. It's not the same. It's, it's not, not the, the same. same. It's so, not the same thing. So so people shouldn't be surprised that, the, you know, the personal relationship that you build with people in the office has a direct influence on whether or not you get promoted or whether you, you know, get a raise. Yeah. It's, it's just human nature. Yeah, I, I just found it surprising that, that people are admitting that, yeah, of course we're going to promote the people that, that come into the office more than... Well, no. Like, like, usually they're saying the quiet part out loud. Right, right. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, the other thing, too, is just right here, I was just looking at the article. There's a, a quote, um, remote work can be especially costly for young women trying to build their skills, says Emma Harrington, assistant economics professor at the University of Virginia, who recently co-wrote a paper that found software engineers at a Fortune 500 company who worked in the same building as their teammates received 22% more feedback on their code than engineers who didn't share an office with their colleagues. Well, it's kind of like, well, yeah, if you're all in the same vicinity, you're, you're more likely going to get feedback because you could just walk over to your colleague and be like, Hey, could you look at this instead of trying to, okay, now I got to schedule some time on the calendar to see if this person is available on this time and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that that's, that's that's kind of right. Like yeah. I, I believe that you know, and it's not just the male female thing too. If you see the the, the chart there, oh yeah, that, sure. You know that that the percentage of we, uh, women who are working remotely is a little higher than men. I think the men uh, are probably more likely to be willing to endure a commute. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what it sounds sexist or anything, but right. Um, you've also got you know women that might be doing more family um, issues as well. And again, I'm not trying to be stereotypical or anything, but there are probably reasons why the remote worker for women is higher than men. Um, but also, you, you know, younger employees, we've, we're, we're finding that they need to be in an office or they want, they, they want, or they should want to be in an office more yeah. because you get that mentorship and feedback. Like, like you mentioned, I, um, I can't imagine ever, you know, getting out of college and looking for that first job and not having the ability to be I, in an office or well, in, you'd in feel lost. You you feel I, lost. It's like what I mean, what am I doing here? I also you know I, I mean? also worked in a newspaper my first year and like you had to work in, yeah. in a newsroom. Um, I can't imagine. You know, of course, newsrooms have gone away too. They've all gone virtual. Like I, I think I would go crazy if I couldn't get feedback on stories or or if I had to do all this stuff via Zoom. I think I'm used to it now because I'm more independent. And I've got those skills. I didn't. Um, I think that's why older workers are a lot better okay at, at, at being the remote. And yeah. again, there I don't know if a lot of those older workers are necessarily looking for promotions as much as, as a younger person in their career. Um, oh, but again, it's it's reinforcement, right? It, it, you want to go, if, if you're doing something, especially if you're doing something creative, let's say you're writing code or you're designing a new circuit board or something, you want to go next door to, to somebody that you trust and say, look, I think this is going to work really well. What do you think? Yeah. Because you've done this before. And you can't do that when you're doing when you're working remotely, right? Because then and it's that, like Zoom calls, and, and and I've seen like some some software that allows you to do instant kind of instant Zoom calls with people. I think yeah. Slack has a feature for that. But like, if you're not at your desk when you get that alert, it's like with text messaging. You know, sometimes my my kids will send me a text message, and I won't see it for like an hour or later because I just haven't checked my phone right. and didn't didn't realize it had buzzed or anything like that. So, right, it, yeah, exactly. I, so. It's, All right. it's a different dynamic. All right, let's um, let's wrap up. I got a quick lightning round for you, uh, for for you, Jack. I and again, Chris, you don't have to jump in unless you want to. Um, uh, Apple Vision Pro pre-orders, I guess, start on January nineteenth. This is this episode is out on the twenty third, so um, it, we don't know how that's going to go. But um, Apple and Disney made some announcements where all of this content is going to come out, and I guess it's coming out on February second. Um, has anything changed in the last uh, three or four months for you on your opinion on the Vision Pro? Uh, it, well, it's very expensive, as we all know. Yeah. The, the the problem I have with this Disney announcement is, you know, we've tried 3D movies in the home forever, right? Yep. You have to wear these glasses. Are, are people, the bottom line to me is, are people going to put on their Vision Pro and wear it for three hours to watch a movie? No. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the needle has not been moved for me as much. Uh, I, I, I saw a bunch of the uh, early reviews. I got, there were a bunch of uh, elite tech journalists that got to do more hands-on stuff uh, with this. And, and they're all saying the same thing. Like they're, they're saying, yeah, it's great to look at. It's great. It's great fun. Um, but I'm not going to buy it because I can't afford it or uh, nothing is changing, you know, the needle in terms of what I what I'm going to do with this. Um, yeah. I, I think this is going to be one of those things where maybe Apple will set up demos at their Apple stores and then you'll have a long line to try it out but yeah, it's not going right. to it's not going to make you you push the button until right. they get this thing cheaper and even then there's all the issues of comfort and stuff yeah i i, right. I, I still think it's going to be a novelty item it's going to be extremely niche and you know i, I think it's going to be very difficult for it to catch on to any sort of mainstream market or right, you know, uh, right. look most people are going to be from missouri about this right $3,500, show me what I'm going to get for $3,500. I know, $3,500. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, right. I can't believe that Apple wants to sell a product for that much money. Um, well, I mean, no, the reason they're doing that is to limit production, right? Right. It, it, it won't stay there. But if they if they, if they it came out at $995, they wouldn't be able to build enough of them to, to, for demand. Now they're, they're basically yeah, but saying... Wouldn't you rather have that where you have long lines of people? And, and of course, then that would, that would create a secondary market for... Um, you know, all the hackers, the hackers, scalpers and things like that. I don't know if Apple wants that either. All right. Next yeah. again, I, I promise a lightning round. So I got to keep going quickly. Okay. Um, a new report by the BBC uh, is basically saying that self-checkout uh, technologies at grocery stores is not living up to expectations. Customers are still lining up for checkout and they usually need store employees to clear kiosk errors or check IDs for age restricted items. Uh, apparently there's also a big issue with theft. Uh, there were some reports about that. It's a lot easier to steal from a self-checkout machine than it is, uh, you know, going through a human cashier. Um, I will, I'm going to admit here on the show that I've inadvertently um, forgot to pay for something in, in a self-checkout because I put it under the cart um, and then I right. just walk out with it and, and the, you know, the machine, it, usually it was like a case of water or something like that. Um, but again, um, uh, I don't like self-checkout machines maybe more as a, a philo uh, from a moral standpoint of I don't want to, if I'm not going to get paid by the retailer uh, to do the checkout, I'll, I'll just sit and wait in a line rather. But you know, any, any thoughts on self checkouts? I don't know if this is the death knell, but, but it's certainly on the down, on the downslope. I, I mean, I have the opposite uh, sense for, for when, when I go to the store, if there's no line at the self checkout, I prefer that just yeah. because I know I can get out quicker. Uh, everyone's made mistakes at self-checkouts. I think, it, that, I think it's also depending on how much stuff you're buying. If you don't have a lot of items, yeah, yeah I'm willing to wait in that line for checkout. Um, there usually is a line at some of the self-checkouts, but Target, they just, apparently the, too many people were using the self-checkout, so they had to limit it to 10 items or less um, just to yeah. try to keep the, the line moving. And the lines at my local Target were usually longer, but then I discovered it's because they didn't have as many people on the cash. You know, once, once the holidays right. came around, then they had four or five different cashiers open. And again, I was willing to because I was usually buying a lot of stuff. So yeah, um, it, it, it all depends on the length of the line. Uh, you know, I, I, I go to BJ's, I go to Walmart, I go to a lot of different stores. And yeah, stop and shop. A lot of them have self checkouts. Wegmans has a self checkout, and I actually prefer it if there's no line because the other lines, in theory, at the self checkout, people only have three, four, five items. They're not they're not doing a whole shopping cart. Whereas you go to the regular line, and people have one or sometimes two shopping carts full of stuff, and you know it's going to be fifteen minutes before you get to the cashier. It's just not fun. I also like the personal communication that I get with a cashier. Sometimes yeah. it's you know, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, 
Maybe I'm just we old. We just don't like people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And fi- our final item, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but Samsung launched uh, their new Galaxy smartphones. And, and of course, they're adding AI, everything to it. Uh, basically, software features. Um that are that are hoping to spur sales. I guess we'll see if Apple comes out with some AI enabled things uh, later this year, whenever they're launching their new iPhones. But you know, Samsung apparently, it, I, you know, is this moving the needle for you at all? It's not with me. I, you know, I saw some of the stuff that looked kind of neat, but I'm not going to use that in my daily life. I'm still an iPhone guy. Well, so 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 there's two issues there, right? If you're going, okay. are you going to switch to Samsung from iPhone? Probably not. No. Uh, are you going to upgrade your existing, and not necessarily Samsung, but Android device for you know a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars? You've got to find some reason to do that. You've got to show me what that money is going to give me. Uh, the new AI stuff has a lot of potential, and you know, I, and I I think about it as basically AI in your pocket. You know, the new Qualcomm chip in there has a an NPU built in. It's an AI accelerator. Uh, there's a lot more stuff that's going to come down the pike. It used to be just about the camera, and now it's about texting. Now it's about uh, sorting through my emails and figuring out what's, what I really need to address and what I don't need to address. There's going to be a lot more of that stuff coming. So this is a first step in AI, in real AI on a smartphone. Uh, it's not the last step. You'll see a lot more. Right. Apple will definitely have something in the, in the not too distant future. They're but, probably uh, not going to call it AI either. They're probably going to call it like right. machine learning or, or like they, I think they want, Syria. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I don't know if you saw this from CES from a couple of weeks ago, but the biggest um, thing that I saw that was hyped that a lot of uh, press people were excited about was this rabbit AI thing. It was a little device. Yeah. Again, it was a, a standalone AI device. And I don't know if they, if they answer questions via voice. Um, I, I've been of the mindset that I, people are not going to need a standalone device once the smartphone makers and, you know, get AI right. Um, and cause then they're just going to put it on the phone. And if I had a That's phone right. that could do 30 different things and AI or whatever it is, is one of them, then I don't, I'm not going to want these little like Star Trek type badges things. Remember um, when we used to go out and buy cameras? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or, or and music players. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and everything, everything old is new again too, because my, my kids, um, were, were getting into disposable cameras. Uh, over the because because the the summer camp that they would go to you can't have any electronic devices but you are allowed to have a disposable camera so I, we bought them one so that they could take pictures um, while they were at camp um, two things out of that is one trying to find a place to develop the film is is, is a lot harder than it used to be uh, b these things are wicked expensive it was like 40 bucks for a disposable camera now and and then and then it took again two to three weeks for the film to develop. I think we got it at a CVS or a Walmart or one of those things that that still do all that stuff. Um, but they probably have to send it to China. Yeah, they they were <laughs> they were circumventing this thing, you know, and they're interested in the older technology more than I am. And then they realized that most of their their images came out blurry. It's like yeah, because you're not you know with the, with a phone you've got image stabilization features. You don't have that with a a disposable camera. So. All right, Jack, I could talk to you for a couple more hours, but we're going to wait until next week to do some more topics. Uh, All right. Thanks for joining us on the show this week. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episodes. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.